How many of you enjoyed the series on growth so far? Anybody besides me committed to growing? Come on. We talked about three ways that Jesus grew people. We talked about revelation, and I want to encourage you, get into the Scriptures this year, but it's how you get into the Scriptures that matters. That word revelation means removing the veil, which means you, it takes God to know God. That's a good phrase to remember. It takes God to know God. Some people say, Pastor, I read my Bible, but I don't seem to get anything out of it. Let me give you some practical help. Before you get into the Bible, sit in the presence of the Lord, recognize He's alive, acknowledge His presence in your life, talk to the Holy Spirit, He's a person, talk to the Holy Spirit, and say, Holy Spirit, I want to know Jesus, I, I want to understand your ways, I want to know about the kingdom. Uh, open my eyes so that I can see this amazing truth from your word. You have the privilege of reading the Bible with the author living inside of you. What a joy that is, all right? So ask him, talk to him, and you, here's what I promise you. You will find certain things will literally jump off the pages at you because that's the Holy Spirit's job, amen? We also said don't read the Bible. Let the Bible read you, which means when you read the Bible, let me give you a little secret on how not to become a Pharisee. When you read the Bible, don't think about who that verse applies to. Like you read the verse and you go, I wish my wife would read this. No, it's not for your wife. It's for you. And if you read the Bible for you and let the Bible read you and not read it for other people, like people do this in church on Sunday too. Pastor will be preaching. They'll be like, mm, I sure hope he's listening. <laughs> That's how you become a Pharisee. You, you let the Bible apply to everybody but you. So how many of you know even this morning we need to say, Lord, what do you want to say to me? I'm going to trust you that you can speak to everybody in this room. What do you want to say to me? And you know what? You need revelation so that you don't become religious, so that you get rocked by the Holy Spirit. Amen? I'm praying. Are you ready for this? I'm praying that all you guys, sometime throughout 2022, the Holy Spirit so hits you during worship, you can hardly contain yourself. You're blubbering, slobbering, snotty mess. Now you can turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking to you, all right? Yeah, he's talking to you, all right? How many of you think that would be okay? And all of you that aren't raising your hand, I pray special double blessing on all you guys. Double blessing. Both nostrils. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're just going to be a man. Because guess what? It's not about filling our heads with knowledge. It's about getting rocked by the, by the presence of God and being transformed. Amen? Second point. This is good. Uh, he said we need to have relationships, which is why we're all here today. You know, when Vanessa gets the microphone, tries to talk, and she starts crying, that's because there's a lot of history and a lot of relationships and a lot of people that have loved on her, and she's loved on a lot of people. How I many you know that's the beauty of the local church? So stay connected. Life groups just started. Uh, celebrate Recovery, Renovating You. I mean, we got all kinds of ways to connect with people in a small group. Make sure you're connecting with people. Because how many of you know you can be really spiritual when you're all alone? In fact, you're a spiritual giant when you're by yourself. If we could spend the rest of our lives in our prayer closets, we would, we would be the most deceived people on planet Earth. Because I'm so spiritual. I glow in the dark, by the way, when, I, when I'm all alone. <laughs> I walk on water. It's amazing. But then when I get around people, you get in the car, somebody pulls in front of you, that's when you realize how full of the Holy Ghost you are. So you have to be, that's why God puts us in a family, because guess what? Families deal with stuff, and we have to learn how to get along. But you'll never grow to be like Jesus in isolation. 
So you have to be connected to people. You always hear these people say, I ain't going to church. Those people are hypocrites. No kidding. What person on planet Earth is not hypocritical in some fashion in their lives apart from Jesus? Every one of us is a hypocrite. Don't look at your neighbor. Just focus on you. So, we're all trying not to be hypocrites, but how do you learn how to not be a hypocrite? You hang out with other hypocrites who are learning how not to be hypocrites. That's how we grow. And then the third area, this is important. So we talked about relationships. Third area, and we're going to talk about this today, is responsibility. But let's go back to relationships just for a second. Pastor Andrew nailed it last Sunday. Wasn't that an amazing message? He said, we need encouragers in our life. How many can say amen to that? Find people who love you and who believe in you and speak life to you and get all the critical, nasty, judgmental people out of your life. Get them out of your church. That's why I told you at our starting point classes, when I find people that are critics in the starting point class, I'm handing them brochures from other local churches and encouraging them (laughs) to visit because that will poison your church. It will poison your life. Life's too short. Surround yourself with people who love you and encourage you. And then surround yourself with people who are challengers. When I say challengers, I don't mean you're chief critics. How many of you know when you challenge somebody, you're, you're pushing them to the next level? Really, encouragement leads to challenging because you're saying, I believe in you and you can do this. When you were looking at going into business, you had a lot of people around you who knew you and loved you, including your lovely wife, who encouraged you, take a step. You can do this. We see this in you. And you did. But how many of us would not have taken the next step if there wasn't somebody personal in our lives who believed in us? Amen? So don't remember, you can't be a challenger unless you're a really good encourager because nobody wants to surround themselves with professional critics. So be a great encourager, and then they, somebody might ask you to speak the truth, give them the last 10%. You know, we just did this exercise with our wives uh, and my discipleship group. We had to go to somebody close to us and ask them to give us the final 10%. Like, what's that one area I could maybe improve on? Now, I know it's hard. My wife married me. She thinks the world of me. I know I'm pretty special. Uh, but when I went to her, it was amazing because I said, honey, give me the last 10%. What's one area that I could need a little help on? You know what? I was shocked. I thought she'd have to say, let me pray on this for a week and I'll fast and I'll seek the Lord. (laughs) She did not even wait. She instantly knew. And guess what? I received it because I'm trying to be a man of God, all right? So she, she, but here's the deal. I need someone in my life that loves me enough that can help direct me and challenge me to be a better man. How about you? And then we said this, find somebody that's a counselor in your life. What is the best definition of a counselor? Somebody that you're safe being around. Someone that you can take your brokenness, your heart, the fact that you're not perfect yet, you can lay it before them, and it's a safe place. How many of you want to be a safe place? In fact, if you're married in this room, your job is to be the safest place for your spouse on planet Earth. That's what we always work toward, right? Marriage class, be a safe place where your spouse can come to you and they, and they can be real and you can bear your soul, and people that will love you for who you are in the middle of your mess. And I, can I just tell you one of the most powerful statements I heard at a starting point class? I'm trying to see. Michelle, I think it was you. Can I share this story? Paraphrase for if I screw it up, correct me. I, I'm all about challengers in my life. Um, but Michelle shared at starting point, she said, you know what? I really feel like this is a safe place where I can finally deal with me and deal with the brokenness in my life. Didn't you share something like that? 
And guess what? Now you, you went to renovating you. You got God to do a bunch of stuff. Now you're helping other people get their hearts healed. But what she said at starting point was not, man, this church is screwed up, but I'll, st- I'll stick around for a little while. No, she said, I feel like this is a safe place where I could actually unload some of the junk I've been carrying around. I mean, that's a great testimony. And you need to have people in your life that are safe places where you can get some counsel and get some healing. Uh, So that's critical. Encouragers, challengers, counselors, amen? Not only receive it, but be that for other people. Now let me talk a little bit about responsibility today in the time that I have left. Responsibility. The third area that you need to grow in is the assumption of responsibility in your life. Now, responsibility has been defined a lot of ways, but I like this definition here. It's the state or fact of being responsible, answerable, or accountable for something within one's power, control, or management. The Apostle Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke and I thought and I reasoned like a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. In other words, he was, he was a challenger many times. How many appreciate apostolic challenges in your life? Many times Paul would say, look, you guys need to grow up. I should be teaching you at this level, but I still got to rehearse this level because you guys are not practicing it. You're not getting it. I have to go back to the basics, but you should be here. I mean, you know, that's okay sometimes. Not to, not to put pressure on us, but I look at my life. I look at how long I've known the Lord, and I think, you know what? Am I maxing out? who I'm supposed to be in Christ, or, or do I, are there areas where I still need to grow up? That's a good question to ask. Put away childish ways of thinking and begin to move into maturity. And one of the ways we mature is when we take on responsibility. Can I just say this? Sometimes people think the more mature Christians are the ones who have been in church the longest. I mean, you know, that's not necessarily the truth. Just because you sit in a building on Sunday morning religiously does not make you mature. Let me tell you biblically what, what maturity looks like. The assumption of responsibility demonstrates your maturity. In other words, how much responsibility can you shoulder in the kingdom of God? If, if you're still required being spoon-fed and you've been in church for 50 years, guess what? Paul might be talking to you here. Time to grow up. It's time to move ahead. Time to put away. Like, how about this? If, if my wife said, honey, you've been dealing, you know, you don't even need to ask me what you need to work on because I've been giving you the same answer for 40 years. How I many you know, we'd have a problem. Like, when she tells me this is an area you need to work on, then guess what? A responsible person says, thank you, and they begin to change. Am I speaking to the right crowd? That's called responsibility. You take responsibility for pursuing Jesus and becoming Christ-like. So we should never be stuck in a certain pattern for a long, long time because that just means we're not being responsible. We're being immature. Look at the mandate that God gave Adam and Eve all the way back in Genesis 1, verse 28. The Bible says he blessed them. And I want you to see this. The blessing of God is for a purpose. And God goes on to talk about the purpose. He said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and govern it. I want you to see that the reason God blesses us, all the way back to Adam and Eve, our parents, and all the human race, here's what he blesses us to do. Blesses us to grow and to multiply and to govern. Everybody say govern. In other words, you're supposed to be running things. You're supposed to be leading things. You're supposed to be operating in a sphere of authority if you're moving in the blessing of God. Now turn with me uh, to Luke chapter 19. This is where we're going to camp out today. Luke chapter 19. 
And we're going to begin in verse 12. Now, this has been called the parable of the ten servants, and it's very similar to another parable called the parable of the talents found in, in uh, Matthew chapter 25. But they're not the same. How many of you have ever read passages in the Gospels and you go, is that talking about the same thing? Uh, and really, it's not. This is an absolutely different account here in Luke. In fact, it's only in Luke's Gospel. The parable of the talents in Matthew 25 is dealing with a totally different message, different time, different set of circumstances. So let's go ahead and dive in here to, in verse 12. It says, he said, uh, a nobleman, this is Jesus speaking, a nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and to then return. Now, who is Jesus making reference to here in this parable? Himself. He's the nobleman who's been called away to an empire to be crowned king, and then he's going to return. Now, how many of you know Jesus has already been crowned king? That's called the ascension. We preached on that a while back. Jesus is reigning as king. But guess what's happening? This is the final piece in human history that we're waiting for, the return of the king. Let me challenge you with this. How do we know that the king is going to return? Absolutely, for sure, 100%. Because the king's already been raised from the dead and ascended to the Father's right hand. How many of you know two out of the three pieces have already happened? And if those have already happened, why would we doubt that the third is about to come and is about to happen? Amen? So Christ is going to come. The king is going to come. And, and we're excited and expecting for that moment. Look what it says in verse 13. Before he left, he called together 10 of his servants, and he divided among them 10 pounds of silver, or 10 minus, saying, invest this for me while I'm gone. Now, I want you to see something here. In, in Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, you remember that story. It says that different people were given different amounts of, of uh of gifts or talents, all right, and that they were to use those talents. Some had one, some had five, some had ten. What I want you to see in this parable is all ten people received the same thing. So imagine Jesus coming up and saying, here's your mina, your mina. He goes right down the line. Everybody receives the same amount. What are we talking about here? What, what is that mina a picture of? Well, it's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of the grace of God. How many of you remember when the workers were out working and they, and they got hired at different times? They all got paid the same wage. The grace of God is upon each one of you in this room to the same degree in the sense that if you have bowed your knee to Jesus Christ and you're a follower of His, God has re reached out and given you a minor. He's, he's given you grace. He's given you the gospel to steward for Him. So how many of you have received a deposit in this room? Wave your hand at me if that's you. All right, That's all of us. We receive something. Now look at what it says next. It says, Jesus tells them, I want you to invest this for me while I'm gone. We're living in the time right now when Christ is seated at the Father's right hand and he's gone from planet Earth. That's why I've encouraged you, the person and the Trinity you need to be most familiar with is the one who is here on planet Earth right now. That's the Holy Spirit. Christ is coming. But he's not back yet. In the meantime, the Holy Spirit's been sent. And listen to me, we're in the season of taking what, what Christ has entrusted to us and investing it and working it and, and being faithful with it while he's gone because the time is coming when he is going to return. And how many of you know we want to be ready for that time? So the question I'm asking you in a very personal way this morning is, are you being responsible to steward the gospel? I want you to see something. 
In the parable of the, of the talents, it's about using our gifts for the glory of God. This passage is not so much about gifts or about the investors, but it's about what's being invested, namely God's money. Now, how many of you know the Bible says the word of God does not return void? When you speak God's word, it produces results. How many of you are grateful for that? When, when God gives you a promise and you stand on the promise, God demonstrates his faithfulness through his word. So the, so the word of God is part of the, of the resources he's given us to steward the gospel, the good news, the sharing of gospel with people, the preaching of the gospel, the standing on the word, the declaring the word. In other words, when you invest that, it always produces a return. Now, how many of you know it's our responsibility while the king is gone to be faithful with what he's entrusted us with? And that is all embodied in this concept called responsibility, investing what he's given to us while he is away. Now, it's interesting in the King James Version, I believe it says, occupy until I come or do business until he comes. In other words, he's asking us to join his mission and to be responsible in discharging uh, the, the, the things he's called us to. Namely, how about the Great Commission? Amen. How about leading people to Christ? How about preaching the gospel? How about signs and wonders following? How about investing our lives fully in his mission? This is all the stuff he's going to hold us responsible for when he comes comes back. In other words, this word occupy in the Greek, it's interesting, it's the word pragma, where we get our word pragmatic. Here's what he's saying. Be pragmatic with what I've entrusted you with. That word pragmatic has, has a meaning of being active, busy, practical. In other words, make a practical investment of the gospel that God's put in us. Invest that in other people while he's away. But look at verse 14. But his people hated him talking about the unsaved. They hated him, and they sent a delegation after him to say, we do not want you to be our king. How many of you know we're living in a hostile environment right now? Everybody's not all excited about hearing the gospel. In fact, I'm just telling you, the battle lines just on Roe v. Wade uh, are hostile uh, because there's so much anger. There's so much uh, uh, bloodshed. There's so much power involved in that battle line. But guess what? The Lord calls us to be faithful, to invest what he's given to us, to speak the truth, even in a hostile culture. And that's just one of the battle lines that we're facing today. But Jesus says, hey, share the gospel anyway. Take the, take the mina of my kingdom. Invest it for me. Be faithful with it while I'm gone. Look at verse 15. After he was crowned king, it says, he returned and he called in the servants to whom he had given the money. He wanted to find out what their profits were. Can I just encourage you? Personalize this. I'm moving from the encourager to the challenger. The time is coming when we're going to stand before the king. And listen to me. You're going to give an account for the grace of God that's been entrusted to you. Can I just tell you something? We're living in the most blessed nation on planet earth as it relates to the accessibility and the blessing of the gospel. Can I get an amen on that? The Bible says to whom much has been given, that's all of us, much is going to be required. There should be a passion in your heart this morning to maximize the investment of the Son of God in your life. When I prayed this over this precious group of people that became part of our family today, you were purchased, and I was pur purchased with the shed blood of Jesus, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. You are valuable to God. 
He saved you so you could be conformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. There's an investment in us of the Father. And the Father's going to stand before us. You will not come as a living stone to stand before God. You won't be able to hide behind your spouse or your dad or your uncle or anybody else or your neighbor. It's going to be you standing before Jesus. Now, here's the good news. Because you're in Christ, it's not, you're not going to be judged on whether you made it or not. Christ already took care of that on the cross. But how many of you know he is going to judge you based on what you did with what you received? And here's the crazy thing. We all receive the same measure. The question is, what have we done with it? And how many of you know we have a choice? Every one of us has a choice. You have a choice. Here's, here's my invitation to you. Will you jump in with all four feet, as Pastor Dick likes to say, and go hard after God this year? Will you assume responsibility for the investment in your life? Will you serve people like never before? Will you speak like never before? Will you love like never before? Will you help people? Will you counsel? Will you do all those things that God's called you to do? Will you lay your life down and give Jesus the full investment of what he put in you? Will you maximize what he's put in you? Because you will give an account. That's called responsibility. You know, my dad here... Some of you that didn't get to meet my father, that's my precious father, and I love the way uh, that picture it was perfectly stationed because if those of you that knew my dad knew that he would come in and he would sit right there on the stage and he'd check you guys all out and make sure, uh, make sure you were doing good. I think of what was invested in me by lots of people. And I think of where he is right now and the fact that the day's coming when he'll stand before the Lord on the, judge, on the great day when Christ returns. And, and guess what? Here's the, here's the beauty. While we all receive the same deposit, we don't all receive the same reward. He goes, well, we're all in heaven, you know. You know don't, don't we all get the same little condo and the same, you know, re, it, it, no. God, remember I told you, God's not a communist. God's not a socialist. I don't understand how all this works, but I do know this. How you live your life, the choices that you make matter. You know, there's been some great saints. I think of Pastor Cho. Pastor's the largest church in the world in South Korea, over a million people at that church. He said to the Lord, or actually said to his wife one, one year, he said, you know what, I'm going to take this year off, and I'm going to let my associates run the church, and you and I are just going to get on a on a, a boat, and we're just going to take a year cruise and just cruise around the world and take a whole year off. And then he got together with the Lord in prayer the next day, and the Lord said, uh, that's not what you're going to do. <laughs> he said, the time is coming when that's what we do. But this is not that time. Now, please hear me, all of you. Don't, I didn't encourage you to cancel your vacation plans for this summer or anything like that. And I'm also, everything in balance, please rest. That's all good. It helps us serve the Lord longer. But, but listen, how many know this is not like Disney World right now? The Bible says work while it's still light because the time is coming when no man can work. You know, the Bible says we're going to have one moment to stand before the Lord and give an account for our whole life. And guess what? You're going to have time. Like, how many of you have ever seen those cool pictures of Bora Bora? Anybody look at Bora, uh, the water? So I saw some of you on Facebook. You're like, I want to go here. Where's that? Okay. Marion and I have had those situations too where we think about where we would want to go. And, and, and then I remind her, not that she's pushing the, the envelope on that, sometimes I'm pushing the envelope, but, but the thought will come to our minds, you know what? My dad owns this whole place. 
And when there's a new heaven and a new earth and Christ has subdued all of his enemies under his feet and we're hanging out together, I hope you all come with me. I'm going to Bora Bora. And I'm going to sit on the beach and we're going to have a party and worship and check out the place. And then maybe we'll go somewhere. Listen, we're going to inherit the earth. And we're going to enjoy the Lord and each other forever. But I'm telling you, now's not that time. Now is a window of opportunity to be responsible with what has been entrusted to us. And I don't want to screw up this quote. Again, it's just popping into my mind. But it really hit me hard one time when I, when I read this. Is, is, is Jesus' sacrifice on the cross worthy, basically, of the way I'm living my life right now? In other words, if, if he looked at me and said, hey, please live in such a way that the sacrifice I'm making right now is, is a worthy investment because I'm entrusting you to invest for me while I'm away so that when I come back, I see that my investment has paid dividends in you. It's kind of a good thing to think about. Am I living in such a way that it makes Christ's sacrifice for me worth it? Remember that scene at the end of Saving Private Ryan, or maybe at the beginning, actually, when the man's out in Arlington Cemetery with all the tombstones, and he finds the guy that actually died for him. And remember that poignant moment where he says, hey, you know, make it, please make this count, because that guy know he's dead. And he turns to his wife, and tears are running down his cheeks, and he basically asks her, have I lived in such a way that, that I've lived worthy of this man's sacrifice for my life? How much more? How much more? that we would live in such a way to be faithful for the sacrifice Jesus made for us. Because this is battle now, and this is not, e- not easy now, and we go through ups and downs and momentary setbacks and all kinds of stuff. But listen, the time's coming when the party's going to happen and when you're going to want to hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. And that has to do with our willingness to embrace responsibility. Let me hit this quickly. Look at what, what happens next. Verse 15. After he was crowned king, he returned and he called the servants to whom he had given the money and he wanted to find out what were or what their profits were. Look at verse 16. The first servant says, Master, I invested your money and made 10 times the original amount. Now let me highlight something here. The emphasis in this passage is on your money. How many of you know everything we have received in life is because of the grace of God? We didn't earn it. It's the grace of God. God's not saying, you guys be really shrewd with my money and uh, and be really slick investors and and maximize my money. The money itself will work. How many of you have ever been raised in in financial planning classes and stuff, and and here's what they tell you, successful people. You need to, to set your life up so that your money works for you and you don't spend the rest of your life working for money. The, the, the borrower is a slave to the lender. How many, right? Like if you're in great debt, you're going to spend the rest of your life working for somebody else. Your money is not working for you. Your money is actually working to get you out of a hole, and your money is working for somebody else. The gospel is the currency of the kingdom. It works. God's saying, take my money and invest it. And this guy says, I took your money. I invested it. Ten times is what it produced. That's the nature of the fruitfulness of the kingdom. Ten times. Look at what the Lord says, verse 17. Well done, the king exclaimed. You are a good servant, and you have been faithful with the little I entrusted to you, so you will be a governor of ten cities as your reward. Now, pause with me there. That's not the way it's supposed to work. He's supposed to say, you've been faithful. 
Now go on vacation to Bora Bora. (laughs) Did you hear what he just did as a reward? He said, I'm going to give you 10 cities to rule over. Jim, take Pittsburgh, Chicago, Boston, Indianapolis. I mean, and you're in charge. That's my way of saying thanks. I know of people, because I know how you guys operate. Somebody says, yeah, man, they asked me to, to get into management at work. No way, I don't want to get into management. I don't want all those headaches. I just, I just want to take my paycheck and get out of here. Can I just challenge you with something? Could the Lord have not been offering you an opportunity for promotion? I'm not talking about promotion in the eyes of men or the promotion in the bank account. Or the promotion meaning less hassle. I'm talking about things that God values, like authority and responsibility. Did you ever see somebody asking you to assume more responsibility as a compliment to who you are and to your integrity, and that it's actually a reward to who you are? More responsibility. I'm going to tell you, in college, I had a, a person who saw leadership in me and believed in me, and they challenged me. They said, look, you should consider running for student body president. I said, student body president? I don't know if I really want to do that. It's my senior year. I kind of want to chill out, play Frisbee. And this is what he said to me. He said, God has given you a certain wiring, a certain gifting that he expects you to use how he's given you and the things he's blessed you with to use it for his glory, not to lay around throwing Frisbees He didn't say that, but I connected the dots. But to lead and to serve. I left that office feeling rebuked, but complimented at the same time. You all know how that's that's the way it's supposed to work. Because what he was saying is, you have a responsibility to use what God's put in you for his glory. I just want to throw this out to you guys today. I want to pick on my wife again. Years ago. We started discipling teenagers here at Living Stones. I came home with this brilliant idea. I I said, God loves you, and I have a great plan for your life. Um, (laughs) I said, I want you to lead a group of sixth-grade girls and disciple them with me. I've got the curriculum all laid out, but you're going to take the sixth-grade girls. She said, I can't do that. I've never done that before. She started making excuse after excuse after excuse. And me being the great husband that I am, I just went, talk to the hand. Face don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I handed her her manual. By the way, I learned that from my dad. <laughs> and you know what? She jumped in. And she started loving on those girls. Changed her life. I wonder how many of you in this room, every time you think about stepping out of your comfort zone, doing something you've never done before, you start freaking out. How many of the freak out moment is usually the sign God's trying to do something great in your life? Because if you're calm, cool, and collected, it's not big enough. If the freak out mode comes in, you're right in the center of God's will. Here's what I'm saying. Can you see assuming responsibility as a compliment from the Father? Like, I'm going to make you rule over 10 cities. What? The next guy comes in. I, I, I multiplied it five times. Great. I'm going to make you ruler over five cities. This is crazy. One little mina translates into ten cities. Now, I don't understand that, that correlation, but I do know this. 
How many of you know what we do with the little life that we receive right here with the grace of God literally echoes through eternity? And the Bible says we haven't even begun to see or comprehend the reward and the blessing that God has for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. You, know, you all know what I'm talking about. One little mina of grace in this life gets multiplied in the next life to like 10 cities. How many of you know that should get us thinking? Whatever sacrifices for the gospel we make now is nothing compared to the glory that's coming. These are the truths we need to keep in our minds as we're moving forward and, and seeking to be responsible. Now, listen, responsible, let's break this down. It literally means able to respond. It means you're able to perform. How many of you like to quote that verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me until you're being challenged to assume more responsibility? <laughs> Isn't it interesting how we only quote that verse when it's convenient to our comfort zone? How about this? Do something, assume something, love in a way that challenges you and pushes you out of your comfort zone, and then quote, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We are being cursed in America today by a victim mentality that permeates our culture. And the victim is simply a person who fails to be response-able. The victim is always looking outside of themselves and always blaming somebody else for their current crisis or problem. Can I just tell you something? Get over yourself and quit blaming other people for holding you back. Nobody's holding you back. Nobody can hold you back. When you're in Christ and you're pursuing the kingdom and you're walking in obedience, you got the power of heaven behind you. What's holding you back? Be responsible. Find something that God's called you to do and be responsible. Don't be a victim. Don't wallow in excuses. Look at what the third servant did here in verse 20. But the third servant brought back only the original amount of money. And he said, Master, I hid your money and I kept it safe. I was afraid because you are a hard man to deal with, taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops that you didn't plant. Look at the victim mentality that's operating here. First of all, he says, I was afraid. It's okay to be afraid, but I want you to see what he did next. He said, here's why I'm, I'm afraid. It's Brian's fault. Because, dude, you are hard to work for, man. You, you have great expectation, and I got to be accountable to you. And, I, and you made me afraid, man. That's why I buried it. But here it is. I, I buried the investment. Here it is. Because, man, you're, you, you freak me out, man. Isn't it amazing how people will look at God, they make up their own view of how God is, they think God's mean, they think God's harsh, they think God's demanding, instead of understanding how the Father really is, we misrepresent Him, and then we use our own misrepresentation to justify our unwillingness to surrender to Him. But the Lord said to him, your own words, go to the next verse, your own words condemn you. Because you, if you knew that's the way I was, then why didn't you act accordingly? If you knew, and can I just tell you guys, this is the thing that gets me. Mark Twain always said, it's not the parts of the Bible that he doesn't understand that, that give him trouble. It's the part that he does understand. In other words, we don't need some special revelation about the fullness of the Scriptures to figure it out. No, no we need to learn to obey what we do understand. Because our own words will condemn us. Our own lifestyle will condemn us to know better but to not do it. To, to, to know that God honors responsibility and, and yet always to push res kingdom responsibility away is to be condemned by our own lifestyle and by our own words. And look at the way this ends. 
He said, you wicked servant, verse 22, your own words condemn you. If you knew that I'm a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvests crops that I didn't plant, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Here's the point. If you take money and you put it in a bank, that money will work for you and it will accrue interest. This guy was lazy. He didn't, he didn't assume responsibility. He was a victim. He made excuses. And, and he's being condemned now because if he just would have done something with the money, the money would have worked because God's kingdom works by itself. Look what it says here, um, verse 24. Then turning to the other, standing nearby, the king ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one who has 10 pounds. Master, he already has 10 pounds. Yes, the king replied. And to those who use well what they are given, more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And as for these enemies of mine who didn't want me to be their king, bring them in and execute them right here in front of me. I want you to see this. What was the punishment that the third servant received? Ready for this? He had responsibility taken from him. Keith Tusi, coming this week, Keith Tusi said this. He said, if you were on my team and I ever had to ask you if you followed through and did what you were asked to do, please know that that was not a compliment I was giving you. In other words, if I have to ask you, it means I don't know that you did what you said you were going to do. Let's be those kind of people that whatever we put our hand to, we're faithful with it. Let's be the kind of people that finish the race to the end. Let's be the kind of people that if you respond to some way or volunteer for something, no one's going, where are those people? Did they show up? Did they, are they committed? Be people that look for opportunities to serve. And let me just say this too regarding finances. You know, I've heard people say, you know, pastor, if I was more blessed, I'd be able to give more. No, you wouldn't. Because the reason you're not more blessed is because you're not a giver right now. This is that three-part encourager, challenger, counselor. This is either the counselor or challenger operating right now. But this is the truth. Use what you have, and what you have will be multiplied. I don't care what area that's in. If you're teaching, start off teaching. You know, I think of my dear daughter-in-law, Carly. She did not come from a strong word background. You know what, though? She jumped in. She started teaching in the children's ministry. How many of you know children are very forgiving? You don't have to know Greek or Hebrew to teach kids. You know what? She put her hand to the plow. You know what happens when you start teaching kids? My wife started teaching sixth graders. You know what happens? God increases your ability to communicate the gospel. Say, so, well, Pastor, I had, I had a man call me up this morning. He said, Pastor, I know it's supposed to snow. Uh, do you have a crew out there that clears all the sidewalks and all that stuff off? And I said, we do. But I said, I so appreciate your thoughtfulness that on Saturday night you're texting me to know if you want to show up early to grab a shovel and, and clear the way for the saints to show up. This is what I'm talking about. Look for ways to simply serve and to use what God's given you. I had a man come up to me one time. He said, I believe I'm called to be an evangelist to the nations. But guess what? He couldn't hold a job and he couldn't, he couldn't provide for his family. I said, why don't you be an evangelist to your family first and be faithful and see what God does with that? I've had people tell me, I feel called to pastor. You know what I'll say? Open up your home. 
and start loving people in a life group setting. And when your home's exploding because of all the life that's being given, given out, that might be a time to come talk to the leadership about maybe going and planning a church. In other words, put your hand to the plow and be faithful with what God's asked you to do. He'll increase it. I'm asking you this morning, what is it that you're responsible for? What is it that, you, that God's put in your hand? And, and are you being faithful with what God's put in your hand? Because he's going to ask you someday, what you, would you do with that? And again, it's not going to be a guilt trip. It's going to be a great celebration of us being able to return to the Lord with increase what he's given to us. Stand to your feet. I'm going to pray for us today. Come on, if you want more responsibility, kingdom responsibility, you want to grow, you want to shoulder more anointing, more glory, more grace, more sacrifice, more obedience, come on, get your hands up. Lord, we're asking you to multiply what you've given to us. Multiply it in our hands. We want to be faithful stewards, Lord, in this house. So, Father, help us to grow by shouldering some weight. Lord, there's people we can love, there's things we can do, there's ministries we can serve, there's so much we can do. Lord, inspire us with what's on your heart, and then, Lord, may we be found faithful. God, we love you. We thank you for this season. We thank you for what you did today. Thanks for the new family. Thanks for the pro-life efforts, Lord. Bless those. And, Lord, we commit ourselves, even now in this month of January, to a 2022 that's full of incredible fruitfulness. Take your money in us. And do something great with it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Hey, if you need prayer, come on down. We'd love to pray with you. Marriage class at four. Have a great day. We love you all.